Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. Looking forward to this hour. Dr. Greg Haddington is going to be joining me. Can hardly wait. He's going to talk about uh, Jerusalem. And uh, Dr. Peter Kapsner is in studio still uh, from Guy Talk, and we're chatting a little bit about his experience in Jerusalem. And that's what's uh, going to be ahead for this hour. I'm very much looking forward to it. Um, so we're going to um, take a very short break, and I don't know... If we'll be back in 60 seconds and we'll start talking about uh, Jerusalem. Be right back. Proper navigation is about getting where you want to go safely and hopefully without getting lost on the way. Well, it's the same when it comes to navigating the Bible. Hi, I'm Pastor Colin Smith with Unlocking the Bible, and along with our friends at Faith Radio, I want to invite you to join us for a summer in the Scriptures at openthebible.org slash faithradio. You know, the Bible is so much more than a historical book. It's how God speaks to us today. And openthebible.org slash faithradio will lead you through the whole Bible story. It's like a guided tour from Genesis to Revelation. You can take it on your own, or you can do it with family or friends. So get started today at openthebible.org slash faithradio. Again, that website to learn more is openthebible.org slash faithradio. Lord, have mercy. Let's be in prayer for our city, city of Minneapolis. It is uh, still in chaos, and there's lots of things to be praying about, not only for our city, but for our country and our world, trying to recover from the pandemic. We're going to chat about that a little bit coming up with uh, Dr. Greg Heddington, uh, which I can hardly wait for. But, uh, Peter, you uh, you spent a whole month in Jerusalem studying, didn't you? I did. I had a chance when I was an undergraduate uh, to go for what was called J-term or the January term where you spend uh, every day going to a class. And I had the opportunity to have my class be in Israel as part of a Jerusalem study tour. It was actually an Israel study tour and we were anchored in Jerusalem. And I don't know that I knew what to expect necessarily as a 20 or 21 year old kid, but uh, it really, to this day, some 25, 29 years later, um, it, it made an impact on my life to see those scriptural stories in their context. And and the Bible somehow just exploded. It came to life mm. in some just amazing ways. And, and Jerusalem is, I mean, it's been destroyed and built on itself and destroyed and built on itself so many times that you don't have too many of the authentic places that actually happen in the scriptures without having to dig beneath the surface. And of course, there's multiple religions for whom right. Jerusalem is a sacred place. Right. So there's a lot of political dimensions to even starting the dig. You know, are you going to somehow... Um, dig into somebody else's religious space if you're going to do that. So there's a lot of tension over that. But there are some of these authentic places, like the steps of the temple where Jesus maybe sat and taught, or there's the pathway where where Peter may have run after he denied Jesus. And certainly, maybe the most profound place around Jerusalem I had a chance to be was in the Garden of Gethsemane, where the the olive trees are well over 2,000 years old. And you sort of sit in there 
and and it's really hard to take it in. It was it I was bet. a really beautiful experience, and and the scriptures again in the context of the geography and the setting, it, they somehow make more sense. They they come to live in some really powerful ways. Mm-hmm. Like how big is the Garden of Gethsemane? Not big at all. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know my acres terribly well, right. but if you told me it was a half an acre, I would say that okay. might be about right. All right. Yeah. That must have been uh, powerful just yeah. to think this is the the place where it happened. Yeah, it really was. And and um, you can go up the hill from the, uh, from the Garden of Gethsemane, and now you're on the Mount of Olives. And so that's the top of the hill where Jesus would have stood over and looked over Jerusalem and, you know, began to weep and say that I, I long to bring you under mm-hmm. my wings, and, and yet you wouldn't have me. And then that's when he started his triumphant entry at Palm Sunday and Hosanna's. You know, you just, we, we actually walk the footsteps of Jesus from the moments where he raised Lazarus from the dead and then walked over the Mount of Olives and down into the city. And it just really was a profound experience. Mm-hmm. You can, again, so much makes sense when you see yeah. it. How dangerous did you think it was? Of course, when you're 20 or 21, you're not afraid of anything, right? Yeah, well, you know, that's because it's dumb. <laughs> More well, than that's, it, that's the whole yeah, point. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it was legitimately so. There's uh, That was the other thing that I noted about the city is that uh, it wasn't unusual to see 16, 17, 18-year-old Israeli soldiers with uh, full automatic weapons Oof. on their back and, and in full <laughs> military fatigue. So we ate French fries at a little cafe in front of the Wailing Wall. Uh, my father and I did. He, he was part of the trip as well. And, and we sat next to two, again, 17-year-olds, I would say, in full military gear. And you can feel the tension because it is home to one of the holiest cities within the Islamic faith, obviously the Jewish faith and the, and the Christian faith. Mm-hmm. There's an Armenian sort of Turkish area of yeah. the city as well. And, and all four of those really do um, hold that city with some sacredness. And they all want full control over the city. And, and you could feel it. We did uh, have a chance to walk through Hezekiah's tunnel that he dug when uh, Jerusalem was under siege for a while, and he dug this tunnel to get access to water. And you can walk through that tunnel to this day, and it's this really narrow tunnel, and, and you can get very claustrophobic in it. But when you come out the other side, you're more in the Islamic section of town. And we were headed, my dad and I were headed in the wrong direction in our American swimming suits, looking like a bunch of idiots walking through <laughs> Jerusalem. But thank goodness a, a taxi driver came by and picked us up and took us to a different location because it, it can be legitimately dangerous. Yes, yeah, so you were probably in danger at that point. Yeah, I would say that that wasn't, yeah, it, it was not neutral in that moment. And, and you know, and the, the events are so few and far between yeah. over there. I mean, the news is always picking out the extreme, right? I mean, it's it, on a daily basis, it, it wasn't as bad as you'd think. But we did see burning cars, and, and it was sort of during the period of some of the early Gulf War kinds of things that were going on. So you could definitely feel the tension, but it's not like people are riding in the streets day in and day out, like maybe sometimes how the news mm-hmm. might portray it to be. It was it was pretty safe. How much um, mix did you have with other students uh, your age? What was going on? Did you Who did you meet? Yeah, we you know, there's, there's a number of different, obviously, study tours you're going to run into there. Yeah. And, and I think that was the other piece of it is that being um, our guide was going to be primarily Jewish. And, uh, and so being among some of the young Hebrew people was mm-hmm. a really interesting experience that the, to, to be a Jewish is both uh, an ethnicity, but it's also your religion. And there isn't anything else like that in the world where it's both your sort of racial background, but it also is your religious practice. They fuse that identity uh, into one person. And th- so they have a very long lineage. They have a very long history, probably the longest history of almost any racial group, ethnic group in this world today would be the Jewish people tracing themselves all the way back to Abraham in that way. And of course, the Islamic people do too. They just trace themselves uh, through Ishmael instead of Isaac. And so you have these ancient religions and people that have descended that it's just, it's part of their heritage. It's it's different than maybe being in Scandinavia. As much as I love the Scandinavians, right? Sweden hasn't been around as long as this ancient place. And so it was really interesting to interact with people that were growing up in those environments. Yeah. Now you were... Uh... Junior in college? Yeah, I would say it was about that. So have you been back? 
Uh, we I went back about ten years later as part of a baseball camp uh, to to help facilitate a baseball camp there, and it was just again you land in this place and it's just it's such a small place too. It's not I don't think it's anywhere near the size of Minnesota, and yet. Everywhere you go, I mean, there's mountains and there's desert and you can swim in the Dead Sea and like float in this thing because you can't actually sink in the salt and take the boat across Galilee and all of that. And it's all within such a a compressed area. Mm -hmm. Sea of Galilee? What was that like? Uh, You know, that was, it was, Jerusalem in parts can be a little bit commercialized. Not not overly commercialized, but definitely in parts. And when you get out of the countryside in Galilee, it's not. And so you do feel like, gosh, this is probably a bit what it looked like when Jesus sat on the on the or he stood on the Sermon on the Mount and gave that sermon on the sea side of Galilee. It was just amazing to be there. Mm-hmm. And would you recommend it for uh, believers at some point? Yeah, make yeah. a pilgrimage to for sure. Yeah, yeah. I, I, again, I mean. It, do you have to be careful at times? Yeah, you do, but not anywhere near how the news makes it out to be. There's going to be some spots, and, and any good guide is going to be able to keep you away from those spots. But it really did alter my faith. It brought it to life in some really beautiful ways. So, yeah, I mean, if you have any opportunity to go at any point in time, I'd highly recommend it. Yeah. Well, it's um, everyone that I've talked to that have made that trip, they they pretty much can't stop talking yeah, about it. Yeah, just and, gush about it, yeah. Yeah, and I suppose everybody that goes over there wishes their biblical knowledge was better than it was when they got there yeah and yeah. they get all excited to, to study when they get back and that's totally the case and and when you have a good guide that knows the scriptures well then you're standing in the location where the events happen and especially in the old testament but a lot of events in the new as well and when you're learn, just think about that doing a bible study in the actual location where something <laughs> happened right i mean it's crazy we, yeah we stood in the elah valley where um the philistines uh, attacked the israelites in the david and goliath battle happened and there was actually even like this dry riverbed and of course you know my dad and i walked over and i grabbed five smooth stones out of the riverbed and brought them home with me but but to be in the valley where david and goliath happened and then to be studying that story with somebody who knows the scripture as well and can get into the nuance of the story it's really difficult to take it in at the end of the day like that battle happened maybe on that very spot you were Right. Standing. Right. And so these aren't just stories now that Veggie Tales does, right? Or, right? or little children's Bibles. These are actual stories that actually happened. And and for people who maybe have traveled into Europe or have gone into concentration camps in Germany, they know how effective they are when they're on site where these stories happened. And Jerusalem is that times 10 mm-hmm. and Israel is that times 10. You just get affected. Yeah. And what languages are spoken over there? Yeah. I mean, obviously Hebrew is spoken and, uh, and there's going to be a number of the Islamic languages spoken as well, whether it's uh, Sufi Islam and, and some of these uh, languages, English is, is pretty well received. You can get along. I, I'm not exactly the best at, uh, native languages. And so I was still able to get by fine in English. Yeah. Do you know any native, do you know any languages? Besides <laughs> um, English? Uh, maybe, maybe a couple of goodbyes and a couple of different languages, but that's, yeah, that's all I got. My kids speak to me in French and I have no idea what they're doing. Did they do the French immersion school? Uh, they didn't, but they did some sort of online thing, and that was enough for them to exceed my knowledge by a lot. Really? Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, did you not do languages in, in high school or college? Uh, I did some German, okay. um, and I know how to ask where my pencil is, and I can ask nice. you what time it is in German. But that can that's be very useful. You know, it's, it's been entirely not. Yeah, especially if you can try to get both of those activities in the same sentence. <laughs> that's exactly you know, right. I'm running out of time. Where's my pencil? Yeah, well, that's exactly right. Yeah. Wie viel Orst jetzt? There you go. There, there's my German for you for the day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was something I wished uh, I would have paid attention to. Yeah, me too. I, I think it just, you know, and, and it, it opens up the brain in some ways. They say by learning languages, it just unlocks any, the brain is such a mystery, right? Yeah. And, and that just unlocks so many other parts of your brain. The only thing I did have a chance to do a little bit of was Hebrew and Greek when I was in seminary. And, yeah. and even getting into the language of the biblical text is so amazing. But a person that uh, learns a language like French, they can all of a sudden pick up Italian easier. Oh, or, 
Yeah, I took a I, just quickly when I did my PhD uh, class. I was I had to take a German class as per my advisor, and I walked in, and I was about thirty five years old, and I was with, with a bunch of nineteen year olds, <laughs> and they went around the room, and and I said, "Well, German is my um, my second language," and they were all saying, "Oh yeah, no, this is my fifth and sixth language." They've wow. grown up in Europe, and yeah. and we're now just adding it in. And to your point. Uh, there must be some linguistic similarities between them all because they could pick up German just like that. I know. It's yeah, like a, it's amazing. It's like a musical giftedness, too, the people that yes. can play like four different stringed Drives instruments. Drives me nuts. And Drives they just, me yeah, nuts they just too. pick up the xylophone and right. off they go. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's amazing to me. Yeah, or wind instruments. Yeah. They, can, they can play, you know, the sax and the clarinet and just like... It somehow translates. I don't know how it translates. I, I don't get it either. I've never had that experience in my life even <laughs> once. <laughs> I know, I know. So uh, I really loved hearing your some of your stories about... Um, studying in Jerusalem. and Yeah, your next uh, guest is going to be great with that. It's going to be great. Yeah, yeah. we're going to talk about it. And uh, Dr. Greg Heddington is my guest coming up. We're going to take a little break. We'll be right back with Greg. show so glad to be inviting to the show dr greg Heddington. he grew up in oklahoma city and went to oklahoma state where he got a degree in english went on to get a master's in divinity at fuller and then he went on and completed his doctorate at fuller as well he was an associate pastor at first presbyterian in houston where i first met him he also lived in the washington dc area for quite a while boy does he love jesus he's with me today greg hi hey bill good to hear your voice nice to hear your voice you know the question that comes up uh, often is the significance of Jerusalem and how it affects people in all different uh, religious faiths. Yes. I would love for you uh, to talk about that a little bit today, but I also want to just talk about your perspective and your view on this crazy pandemic that's driving us all nuts. Yeah, well, Bill, here we are in May 2020, and we're facing a pandemic named COVID-19, which sounds like the name of a planet out of a Star Wars movie. <laughs> I saw that movie. <laughs> but it's, uh, it's only too real and dangerous to ignore. As Moses wrote in Exodus 2, verse 22, we find ourselves strangers in a strange land. And just as Moses led the Jews for 40 years of wandering in the wilderness, uh, as the people asked themselves, how long will this go on? Um, we're comforted by the knowledge of many Jews and Christ followers have journeyed this path before. Mm-hmm. In fact, when we look back in history, it's rare to find a generation that did not face a pandemic. So uh, I want to briefly mention some of the previous pandemics, not to be morbid, but so that we will not think we're alone in facing hardships or singled out by the Lord for inconveniences just because of this pandemic. So I know a lot of your uh, listeners probably are driving in their cars, but if anybody happens to be at home, I'll just list them, which might make it a little bit easier. So if you're taking notes, Roman numeral one, which is a brief reminder of three pandemics over the past 700 years. First, we look at what's called the Great Bubonic Plague that struck Europe and Asia in the mid-1300s A.D. 
It's also been called the Black Death because it arrived in Europe in October 1347 when 12 ships from the Black Sea docked at the Caesarean port of Messina. But the plague itself had probably originated four years earlier in Central Asia and traveled along the famous 5,000-mile route known as the Silk Road beginning in 1343. The origin of the plague was unknown to them, which caused further terror, but we now know that the plague was caused by fleas, which were carried by rats on those 12 ships. And I didn't like rats to start with. Now I'm liking it even less. (laughs) (laughs) I'm with you on that. All right. Uh, An estimated 50 million people died over seven years, ending in 1353, which was between, get this, 30 and 60 percent of Europe's population and it took almost 300 years for Europe to recover its previous population wow. back. And incredibly, that plague reoccurred in, in uh, smaller epidemics on and off several times until the early 20th century. Mm. So that was the first great pandemic. The second pandemic, um, you have to consider the worst epidemic in American history, and that was the influenza of 1918, which tragically happened to coincide with America's involvement in World War One. Mm-hmm. It's also been called the Spanish flu, although it did not originate in Spain, even as the origin of the first outbreak is still being debated, although some people think it had to do with Fort Riley, an army barracks in Kansas. We really don't know because it's still disputed. It killed an estimated 50 million people worldwide and approximately 675,000 in the U.S. alone. Mm. So that was about one-third of the world population. I remember hearing about it at an early age from my mother because she told me it took the lives of her twin brothers before she was born. Oh, wow. So the flu had begun in April 1918, lasted a little more than 15 months into the early summer of 1919, when suddenly and mysteriously the influenza disappeared. Yeah, wow. And they played the World Series that year in October of 1919. There we go. Yeah. There we go. Exactly. So thirdly, um, there have been seven cholera pandemics in the past 200 years, and the World Health Organization says approximately 120,000 people die every year worldwide because of cholera, which originated from and does originate from contaminated water or food. And over the past few years, there have been cholera outbreaks in places like Haiti, Yemen, India, Iran, Sudan, many countries in South America and Africa, the Philippines, and Cuba. And I do go to Cuba twice yearly, so I have seen the effects of it up close. I go on mission trips. Cholera outbreaks uh, can be controlled mostly through the use of clean water and sanitary conditions. Now, I've not given this brief history of three pandemics over the past 700 years just to be macabre, which is a French word that ironically describes many of the health problems the French have suffered in their long history. So I'm not being macabre because we always look to Christ as the author and finisher of our faith who is still in control of everything. But I do give this information to show that we are not being singled out because pandemics have occurred throughout history. And if I could say one more word about tragedy and difficult times in general, some of us know the story of Johnny Erickson, who was once an active teenager, but at the age of 17, she dove into a lake, 
misjudging the shallowness of the water, and became a quadriplegic. For a while, she experienced anger, depression, and suicidal thoughts. But through her years of suffering, she experienced the grace of the Lord in a profound way. And she has now dictated over 40 books advocating for people with disabilities and has inspired many people with her books on faith. Now, God did not heal her physically because today, at the age of 71, she is still a quadriplegic. But her books and ministry to those with disabilities have impacted millions of people around the world, especially those who've read her international best-selling autobiography. Mm-hmm. And furthermore, regarding tragedies, and even now as we're going through this coronavirus pandemic, one thing Johnny says, and this stands out for me, of all the things she said, she said this, sometimes God permits what he hates and uses it to accomplish what he loves. Wow, that's so now, powerful. Let me say it again, Bill, just yeah. in case. It's one of those amazing things I, you know, I always want to write it down when I hear something. She said, sometimes God permits what he hates and uses it to accomplish what he loves. Now, we have reports regarding this from missionaries all over the world who tell us that because of this pandemic, many people are thinking about death more seriously, and Mm -hmm. many, many people have turned to the Lord. Mm. And finally, let me say this about the coronavirus. We will get through this current pandemic for two reasons. First, God is in control of everything, and nothing will happen to you that he is not first, that has not been first cleared by our loving Lord for our ultimate happiness. Wow. I want to say it again. I just, Thank you for this, saying that. That means a lot. Yeah, this is what I hold on. God is in control of everything, and nothing will happen to you that has not first been cleared by our loving Lord for our ultimate happiness. So that's the first reason why we're going to get through this coronavirus. But secondly, God gives us freedom to make choices in this life. And therefore, we will get through this pandemic safely if we make wise choices in our behavior, even mm-hmm. as we respond to people who need our help. Yeah. So that's uh, that's a few thoughts on pandemics. Well, I appreciate that. It's always good to have stuff in context and perspective because uh, we need to look at things uh, historically to understand that we're 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 not uh, we don't get to not have something like this happen to us. Right. All right, Greg. I like context, and you help us put that in context. Let's take a little break. When we come back, we'll learn more about Jerusalem. Dr. Greg Heddington.
back to the show. We're talking to Dr. Greg Heddington. Let's, uh, if we can, shift our attention to Jerusalem. I know that's a subject that for some, they feel completely uninformed about it, its significance. And I know it is the, uh, it, there are many religious groups that have um, a, a, a ownership to Jerusalem. And there's fighting going on. And there's, what significance does Jerusalem have to the believer today? Well, I've been studying this recently. I teach an ongoing Bible study, and one of the women after class asked an excellent question. She said, so much of our Old Testament study is centered around the city of Jerusalem. And why is Jerusalem? Why has it been such an important city in the world, in Scripture, and even today? And I thought, well, that's an excellent question. So I thought, I'm going to do a little bit of a little study about this. So again, if anybody happens to be taking notes, here's uh, Roman numeral two of our, of our kind of our lesson today, which is the significance of Jerusalem in the Old Testament for the Jews. Well, Jerusalem's like no other city. It's one of the oldest cities in the world, one of the most momentous, because it's, it's considered a holy city for three major Abrahamic religions, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. It's also the capital of both Israel and Palestine, and recently our U.S. Embassy moved there from Tel Aviv. Its history goes all the way back as far as the 18th century B.C. when it was capital of an Egyptian city, but it comes into our purview when King David established it as a Jewish capital right around 1000 B.C. when he brought the Ark of the Covenant into it. And by the way, that has no association with the ancestors of Indiana Jones. (laughs) Yeah, although a great movie. Yeah, i got to be clear about that, though. <laughs> All right, yeah. good, yeah. Fact from fiction. <laughs> well, ever since that time, people have sometimes referred to Jerusalem as the city of David, although its greatest historical glory was achieved during the kingly reign of David's son, whose name was Solomon, mm-hmm. who, who built the first great temple as well as his own lavish palace right around 960 B.C. Solomon's been called by many of the world's wisest men, but... With 800 wives and concubines, one must remain a bit dubious about that (laughs) title. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, But King David had been heartbroken that God did not allow him, that is David, to build the temple. But God told David that he had too much blood in his hands from battles which God had not commissioned him to wage. So regarding its size, the population of Jerusalem during the reigns of both David and Solomon was only a few thousand people. But that was a large city at the time. Now, one word we read in Scripture associated with Jerusalem is the word Zion, mm-hmm. which is mentioned 163 times in Scripture wow. and initially referred only to a portion of the city. But after a few years, it came to be synonymous with Jerusalem, which was also called Mount Zion since it was strategically built on a hill overlooking the Kidron Valley. Now, some of your viewers probably have been, or listeners have probably been to Jerusalem, or they've at least seen photographs of Jerusalem, and they're familiar with this impressive situation where it is at the top of a mount. Now, I'm not sure how many people would call it a mountain, especially if they're from Colorado, but Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level compared to, let's say, Minneapolis, which is only 830 feet above sea level. Okay. How's that for a fun fact? That's a good fun. That's a good fun fact. <laughs> you live in Dallas. What's Dallas? Uh, Dallas is uh, less than Minneapolis. It's four hundred and thirty feet above sea level. Nah, 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 nah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Uh, Psalm forty-eight 
speaks about how Jerusalem is situated on the mountain when it says this, Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God on the mountain of his holiness. Beautiful for situation, the joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. So that's how Mount Zion, city of David, are all associated, pretty much other names for Jerusalem. Now, Solomon built a temple in Jerusalem around 960 B.C., and it remained until the darkest date in Jerusalem history, which was, if you ask anybody who's Jewish, I think they'd probably come up with 586 B.C., when after a long siege, the Babylonians leveled Jerusalem and the temple and then marched thousands of Jews across the Arabian Desert, which was about 700 and still is about 700 miles to be held in captivity in Babylonia for, just as prophesied, for 70 years. It was kind of like an early Rhodes Scholar program where you take the best and the brightest and you take them away. And, of course, today it's to Oxford. But at that time, the Babylonians wanted all the Jews who fell in that category to come to Babylonia. And it was rough. I mean, the Jews really suffered in Babylonia during those 70 years when they were not allowed to worship Yahweh even though their homeland of Jerusalem was always on their minds. And we do read these melancholy words of the first verses of uh, Psalm 137, of which the first three verses are also part of the musical Godspell, if you ever see that. So here's the words from Psalm 137. By the waters of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. On the willows there we hung up our lyres, for there our captives required of us songs, and our tormentors required of us to be joyful. And they said, Sing to us the songs of Zion. But how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? Mm. If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand wither, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not set Jerusalem above my highest hope. Wow. We know from the history that the Persian king Cyrus conquered the Babylonians while the Jews were captives there in Babylonia. And soon thereafter, Cyrus, who had been brought up recently uh, in the news a little bit, his, his history, King Cyrus uh, invited the Jews to return to their homeland of Jerusalem in 538 B.C. to rebuild their temple, which had been destroyed in 586. But we also know that Cyrus is thinking, okay, what's in this for me? How about a little something for the effort, you know? Exactly. I mean, I'm letting you all free, but I think we know it's pretty clear he wanted to incur the favor of Yahweh to go along with all the other gods just in case he needed a little help. So he lets the Jews go back, and in 516 B.C., the second temple is built in Jerusalem under the direction of the Jew who had been called the Prince of Judah before captivity in Babylon. He's the holder of one of my favorite names in Scripture, Zerubbabel. You know, I wonder what kind of a nickname do you have when your name's Zerubbabel? Bubble. Bubble? Bubble. Rubble Bubble? Bubbles, yeah. <laughs> How about just Z for short? I like that too. That's powerful. All right. Well, anyway, again, just to remind ourselves so we don't get lost in what I'm saying, we're talking about the enormous historical significance of Jerusalem in Jewish history. Mm -hmm. So the Persian king, who is now Artaxerxes, does not want to authorize the walls of Jerusalem to be rebuilt until he decides to designate the first Jewish governor in Judea, appointed by him personally. 
Now, we have to say he was probably a bit of a um, – had some control issues. Let's just say that. Yeah. But he is in charge, and that person that he happens to designate is none other than the former cupbearer of the king himself, our man, that dynamic leader, coordinator who rebuilt the temple wall, Nehemiah. This is the temple. We know him as the great, the great wall builder. So Nehemiah and his people do, in fact, rebuild the walls after the people had waited for 141 years. I'm talking about if they were attacked, there were no walls around the city. Wow. I mean, a coyote could have come in from the desert and just walked into the city, and the people had waited for numerous reasons and a lot of arguments about having it built. But get this. Nehemiah comes in, and under his incredible leadership, he rebuilds the walls in 52 days. And if you want to ever read about that, you can see it in Nehemiah chapter 6. Well, it's a glorious time in Jerusalem after the temple and the walls are built, but it does not last. In its whole history, Jerusalem is attacked 52 times, captured and recaptured 44 times, many of those times by the Egyptians and Syrians, until finally, under the Roman Emperor Titus, Jerusalem is finally destroyed in 70 A.D., and the temple is never rebuilt. Mm. Now, I want to briefly talk about, if you're taking notes, uh, Roman numeral three, the significance of Jerusalem for Islam. Jerusalem is the third holiest city in Islam, next to the most holy cities for them, which is Mecca and Medina. Although the Quran never mentions the word Jerusalem, there is a legend that the prophet Muhammad ascended into heaven for his, quote, night journey on a white horse directly upon the site where the Muslims built a circular golden building called, anybody who's been there, they know it's called the Dome of the Rock. And that was built in 692, which also just happens to be the site of where Abram was about to sacrifice his son Isaac on Mm. Mount Moriah years before. And it's the dome that is also the site of Solomon's temple, which had been destroyed along with Jerusalem back in 586 B.C. Now, Solomon's temple was not significant to the Muslim, but it is significant to the Jews. Now, this is very important. The primary reason for the hatred of the Muslims toward the Jews historically is because by tradition and by the teaching of the Muslim clerics, it's not in the Koran, it's by tradition, this incident with Abram, which the Muslims claim that it was Ishmael and not Isaac whom Abram almost sacrificed. Now we know that Ishmael was the father of all the Muslims. So therefore, here's the point. Muslims today believe the true people of Abram are not the Jews, but rather the Muslims, and they are God's chosen people. And that animosity of the Muslims toward the Jews, and vice versa, continues today. Now, when I was in Jerusalem two years ago on a tour with my wife Carrie, we were not allowed to go inside the Dome of the Rock, and I understand now that it's really hard. It's really much a, a much a thing of the past for anybody besides Muslim to enter the Dome, which encompasses two mosques that are inside of it. But one site we can all visit today is the Western Wall. Some people have called it the Wailing Wall, but the Western Wall, which is the site for Jewish prayers, which is part of the Temple Mount, built by Herod the Great, who was king of Judea when he uh, rebuilt it in the uh, 2nd century. 
after an, working on it for nine and a half years, he he wanted to build it on the original grand scale of Solomon's Temple. And the temple was completed in 30 A.D., and it was there in the time of Jesus. In fact, as you recall reading Scripture, Jesus refers to the temple. But that that temple only lasted about 40 years until the city and the temple were destroyed again in 70 A.D., uh, and that was it. Although the western wall is still the remains of some of the temple that Herod built. So that's that. All right, Greg, I'm going to need to take a little break. And we'll be right back. Dr. Greg Hennington is my guest. We're talking about Jerusalem, and we'll be right back. show. So glad to have Dr. Greg Heddington as my guest. Greg has been a longtime friend, I must admit, and um, I hope he would admit to the same. I do. I actually own up to that. Oh, good. (laughs) I like that. I like that. I love our discussion of Jerusalem. So if we can sort of pick up where we left off, I'd be love that. Yeah, we were talking about the really the primacy of Jerusalem above every other thing except Yahweh for the Jews. Mm -hmm. Jerusalem today. Would you like to hear a little bit about why that is significant today? Very much so, yeah. Well, if you're taking notes, once again, Roman numeral four, uh, let's just call it Jerusalem today. If you visit Jerusalem today, you'll find that the old historic city is divided into four quarters, the Jewish quarter, Christian quarter, Muslim quarter, and the Armenian quarter. Armenians, again, they're also followers of Jesus, not to be confused with a group called the Armenians, which is a theological group. No reason to get into that. But there's always a tension among the Muslim and Jewish quarters. Now, the population of Jerusalem is about 900,000 people, of which Jews make up 61%, Muslims about 36%, Christ followers 1%, wow. and then another 1% of unclassified people. And there does remain constant tension with the old city. And in fact, let me just tell you one story when my wife and I took this tour two years ago with a guide who, interestingly enough, is a believer born in the old city, who went through a lot of persecution growing up as a believer in the old Jerusalem. So as we were walking, following him through the narrow, crowded streets of the Muslim quarter, we suddenly see this long, single-file line of 18- and 19-year-old Jewish boys and girls in army uniforms, they're carrying rifles, and they're marching toward the Western Wall to be initiated into the Jewish army. You may know that all Jewish boys and girls are required to serve two years in the military, and that's what they were doing. So as they marched through the narrow and crowded and somewhat darkened streets of the Muslim quarter, we felt an instant change in the atmosphere. And we could look around, and we could see the scorn on the faces of the Muslim vendors all around us. And we found out later from our guide that he could easily hear the muffled curses in Arabic about against these young soldiers from the Muslims. Hmm. At, at that point, our guide quietly said, 
we are leaving now. And we made a fast exit following the kids who are going to be initiated out to the Western Wall. Our guide told us later that stabbings in these quarters are not uncommon against people of other religions. And if the murderer is brought to trial and executed, then the family of that executed person will be financially taken care of by that community for the rest of their lives. So it's not new news to understand that the old city has been sitting on a powder keg of religious hostility for years. The Muslim Palestinians are poised to revolt at any time. It's just kind of amazing the place is not blown up. But they're poised to revolt at any time against the Jewish population, given the right opportunity. So here's a question that one could ask at this point. Who truly, in this place, believes in the God that they say they worship? Great question. Right. And Scripture says of those who mechanically follow the religious rituals, whether they're Jewish Christian or Muslim. As Jesus quotes from Isaiah 29, verse 13, he requotes it again when he says it in Matthew 15, verse 8. He says this, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And we do know from surveys the majority uh, number of Jews and the small number of terrorists who make up the the Muslims, which it is a very small uh, minority, They have distorted the views of God, to say the least. Mm -hmm. So we've been looking at the significance of Jerusalem and the Old Testament for the Jews, and it's still significant to the Jews today because the city and the temple were the center of worship of Yahweh and the community. So, uh, Greg, what is the significance of Jerusalem for believers today? Well, if you happen to be taking notes, again, if not driving, we don't want to mess anybody up in the drive. And if you happen to be home and you have a pen or yeah. paper there. My listeners are big note takers. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Well, then you might even know Roman numeral five, which I learned just recently. Uh, Roman numeral five, the significance of Jerusalem for believers today. So some say there's no significance. Many would say Jerusalem is significant to us because it was that city where Jesus endured the greatest agony and triumph of crucifixion to pay for our sins against uh, against God and his resurrection, which where he overcame death to prove his divinity and to give us the blessed hope of life after death with him. But Revelation speaks of the new Jerusalem and that one day it will descend from heaven. So in other words, we don't go up to heaven as a lot of times people think. Heaven comes down to meet us. And in fact, the last syllable of the word Jerusalem is another way of pronouncing the Hebrew word shalom, which means peace. And some have referred to Jerusalem as the city of peace, which is one of the greatest ironies because Jerusalem has been known for hate and divisiveness between different religions for centuries, as have very few other cities in the world. Now, geopolitically, Israel is significant to us because it is the only functional democracy in the Middle East. Some people might say dysfunctional, but it's there, and that's political. So in conclusion of all these things we've talked about, Jesus came to earth as God in human flesh to reconcile the world himself, even as he gave free choice to humans to make their own choice, whether or not to follow him. And can there be any more irony, besides calling Jerusalem the city of peace, than the fact that the prophets foretold the Messiah would come as the Prince of Peace, and he would be killed by us, whom he came to save. 
Sincere Jews follow Psalm 122, verse 6, which says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And we could do that. But I know we are, as believers, to pray for the peace of Christ to come into the hearts of those who do not know him as the Prince of Peace. Mm. Powerful. Just so uh, grateful, Greg, that you took time to share all that with us. Bill, it's been my great pleasure. Thank yeah. you so much. Yeah, well, I'm going to have you back, and you're going to do this more, because this is uh, fantastic, and I, I feel like I learned a lot, and I also have not written Roman numerals in a while, so <laughs> this has been good to get me back into the swing of that. That's fantastic. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate yep. it. Yep. And thanks to Dr. Greg Heddington, my friend, for uh, taking the time to do the show today. He can now go out for a late nine. And also uh, to all the guys in Guy Talk. It was a great show. Thanks for uh, being with me today and supporting Faith Radio. I look forward to our next time tomorrow. And thank you and have a great night. As you put your head on that pillow, just know God's working out a great plan in your life. See you tomorrow. <laughs>